ever wonder what really happens with patients when you give someone with bipolar disorder an antidepressant or someone with psychosis a stimulant? Find out in this episode, the first installment of the Ten Commandments of Psychopharmacology. Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. Psychopharmacology is tough work, and not because there are more than a dozen serotonin receptors. We treat an organ that we never see or even palpate and we depend on the reports of patients who have problems with memory and self-awareness of their own. We're taught to use collaborative care, but how do we make collaborative decisions with someone who is hopeless, impulsive, self-destructive, and has impaired judgment? In the most extreme case, it's like the blind leading the blind, and we can get led into some dangerous places if we're not careful. Collaborative care is essential but it needs some guardrails. Otherwise, if the only guidance you have is what makes people feel better, most of your patients will end up on Xanax and Adderall. So in this podcast series, we'll put up those rails through the 10 commandments of psychopharmacology. I try not to think in absolutes, but there are some lines that you just should not cross when prescribing medications that affect the mind. So we've laid out 10 absolutes that you shouldn't cross in psychopharmacology. You might think our list is somewhat arbitrary and opinionated, and on that, you're probably right. In this episode, the first commandment, do not worsen mental illness with psychiatric medications. There are a lot of ways that this do no harm commandment gets broken, but the two we see most often are with antidepressants and mania and stimulants and psychosis. Starting an antidepressant is contraindicated in bipolar mania, relatively contraindicated in bipolar mixed states, and questionable in bipolar depression. Wait, Dr. Aiken, I get that, but why would anyone start an antidepressant in someone who is climbing the walls with mania? Mania can be easy to miss. There was an interesting study in the 1970s where they asked patients who were hospitalized for mania what they were suffering from. The most common answer was depression. That answer alone will lead you astray. Mania often starts out euphoric and expansive, but after a few days, it turns into impatience, a feeling that you just can't be satisfied. We see people with mania doing so-called pleasurable things, having sex, traveling a lot, indulging in luxuries. But there's really not much pleasure going on because their reward centers are never satisfied. Instead, it's a restless feeling that they have inside. There's a deep anxiety that they are losing control, losing their mind. It's not pleasurable at all. And in DSM-5, they removed the word pleasurable from the criteria on impulsive behavior. Nearly half of patients with bipolar disorder are prescribed antidepressants. That's been the case for decades. And the latest 2022 data on 40,000 patients from Rakesh Jain and colleagues tells us the trend has not changed much. And I can understand why. I mean, if the patient is complaining of depression, even if their mental status suggests they have mania, it's tempting to prescribe an antidepressant. 
Yes, even when the patient is hospitalized for a diagnosis of mania, I often see trazodone added in for sleep or mirtazapine. But there's no reason to think these antidepressants are free of manic potential, even in their low doses. There are case reports of mania on them in low doses, and I remember one patient who got manic every time they gave him 50 milligrams of trazodone to try to help his insomnia. But here's some encouraging data. The rate of antidepressant monotherapy has decreased by nearly 50% since 1997, from 20% to 12%. Still, that means one in eight patients with bipolar disorder are given antidepressants alone, something that Rakesh Jain confirmed as well. And we know what happens when antidepressants are used without mood stabilizers. In 2014, a large study compared antidepressant monotherapy to antidepressants with a mood stabilizer in over 3,000 patients with bipolar disorder. The rate of switch into mania was high in the first three months after starting an antidepressant. But only in the monotherapy group, their risk of mania went up threefold. That study was not randomized, but it was large and controlled. And it was an important one. It was accompanied by an editorial from Edward Vieta titled Antidepressants in Bipolar One Disorder, Never as Monotherapy. People pay attention to a title like that. And I did see a change at professional meetings. I was at a bipolar conference before the paper came out, and they asked the audience if people thought antidepressants were helpful and safe in bipolar disorder. A lot of hands went up. After that 2014 study, the same question was asked at the same conference, and the number of hands were far fewer. The commandment here is not to start an antidepressant during mania. That is absolute. But a lot of patients are already taking an antidepressant when they get manic. What do you do then? That's where it gets tricky, because sudden changes in med, including antidepressant cessation and withdrawal, can also trigger mania. I invite our audience to let us know how they would do it, because there's not much research on this question that I'm aware of. Let us know. Check our Twitter at ChrisAkenMD or LinkedIn. Just search for ChrisAkenMD and give us your tips. But here's how I would handle it. If they started that antidepressant one to three months before the mania, then the new med is probably causative and it can be quickly stopped. Otherwise, treat the mania with mood stabilizers first while slowly tapering down the antidepressant, trying to get off it like maybe taper over one to four weeks, depending on the patient and the chance of withdrawal symptoms. The same rule applies in mixed states, only here it's less clear if antidepressants are harmful or helpful. With that uncertainty in mind, trace the time course for your particular patient to figure out which one of those two possibilities is true and adjust the antidepressant gingerly, carefully while watching for their response. And, you know, sometimes you'll see a lot of dysphoria and depression as you lower a serotonergic antidepressant down. And that may not be because they need the medication that is part of the serotonin withdrawal syndrome. Another tip, antidepressants can also cause not just mania, but rapid cycling in bipolar disorder. This is where patients cycle in and out of episodes every three months or faster. 
those episodes may be all depressions. So there may be no mania, it's just rapid cycling depression. And that makes it difficult to figure out whether an antidepressant is making them better or worse. When rapid cycling is suspected, you'll know it because your patient keeps coming in better or worse with a different mood state every few months. Have the patient track their mood with a mood chart. While the role of antidepressants in bipolar disorder is controversial, it is clear they should never be used without an anti-manic mood stabilizer in bipolar 1. By anti-manic, I mean not just lamotrigine. In bipolar 2, the research is thinner. They are certainly safer with a mood stabilizer on board, but it is possible that a minority of bipolar 2 patients I don't know, maybe 5 to 15%, we don't really have the numbers, do well with antidepressant monotherapy. But that's a minority, shouldn't be the norm. Another line you shouldn't cross is prescribing a stimulant to a person with psychosis. There is not much recent research on this subject because the question has long been settled. Stimulants worsen psychosis. In 2004, researchers from Wales gathered 54 studies of acute stimulant effects in psychosis and schizophrenia. Most of these were experimental studies that tested a single dose, not clinical trials. Here's what they found. In patients who were already in a psychotic episode, a single dose of a stimulant worsened the psychosis in 50 to 70% of those who took it. In patients with schizophrenia who were no longer in an episode, a single dose of a stimulant brought on a new psychotic episode in 30% of the case. These are powerful effects, enough to warn us away from stimulants in psychosis, and unlike the bipolar studies where antidepressants usually look safer if they are given with a mood stabilizer, in the case of psychosis, it didn't matter whether the patient was on an antipsychotic or not, they still cause psychosis at the same rate. Both amphetamines and methylphenidate can cause psychosis, but most research suggests that amphetamines are more likely to do this. That's what we learned from a recent study in the New England Journal of Medicine. They looked at data on 220,000 teenagers and young adults who were treated with stimulants for ADHD. Overall, the rate of psychosis in this carefully selected clinical population was fairly low, about two in a thousand. But I would bet that the real rate is higher than that. See, this was a medical record review, so they only knew about the cases where the provider caught the psychosis and recorded it in the chart. But what really stood out in this study was the stark difference between amphetamines and methylphenidate. The amphetamines caused psychosis at twice the rate of their methylphenidate cousins. From what we know about the mechanism of actions, this makes sense. Amphetamines, like Adderall and Vyvanse, cause a bigger dopamine surge by pumping dopamine out of the neuron, which is almost identical to the known pathophysiology of schizophrenia. Methylphenidates, in contrast, like Ritalin and Concerta, they act differently. They mainly increase dopamine by blocking its reuptake, which is a more subtle, less aggressive effect. The alpha agonists guanfacine and clonidine have a few studies in schizophrenia, and they seem to help cognition without causing psychosis. But psychosis is possible, 
though very rare, with the modafinils and adamoxetine, Stratera, both of which have case reports of causing mania and psychosis. And the jury is still out on the other repurposed antidepressant for ADHD, Veloxazine, Quelbury. We see people with schizophrenia on stimulants for various reasons, weight loss, energy, concentration. There is no evidence that they help, and not for lack of studies. Cognitive problems are common in schizophrenia, but you can't diagnose ADHD in this illness, and stimulants are not the answer. The bottom line, don't start an antidepressant in a manic patient or a stimulant in a patient with psychosis. In schizophrenia, the psychotogenic effects of stimulants are very strong and antipsychotics might not even provide much protection against them. In bipolar 1 disorder, antidepressant monotherapy is never advisable. And in bipolar 2 disorder, it's controversial. You should watch carefully, not just for mania, but for mixed states and rapid cycling if you do start an antidepressant. And while a non-lamotrigine mood stabilizer, an anti-manic one, might protect against antidepressant-induced mania, no protection is 100%. However, we don't recommend stopping antidepressants abruptly if the patient has been on them for a long time. We're talking several years. Especially the serotonergic ones. The withdrawal state can send their mood in all sorts of directions, including manic symptoms. And that brings us to the second commandment. Avoid abrupt cessation of psych meds. We'll pick up there in two weeks. Until then, catch us on Thursdays for a new edition of the podcast stream, Throwback Thursdays we're dusting off our old episodes, updating the content, and adding CME credits, starting this Thursday with sexual side effects of psychiatric medications. Start earning CME now for this episode through the link in the show notes.